You know, we're on the verge of a new year. Um, this year just flew by. We were talking about that, and even Pastor Tyler talked about that last week. 2020, it just, boom, it was here and it's gone. And um, normally talk about that on the uh, new year. And this is the last week of 2020. And, um, you know, like we, it all started out with vision, and then we had incidents with this uh, fake pandemic and um, all the accompanying control and things that came with it. You know, this morning I was watching a video of, there was nine doctors who were just saying um, how this, is, this doesn't really qualify as a pandemic, what they're doing here. Um, the numbers do not justify it. We've all heard stories about people who have passed away at the hospitals and were tagged with COVID-19, and it's a lie. You know, we, even um, um, Roger, who um, Donna's husband, as he passed away, that they, they tried to tag that on his death, and it was a lie. They're probably getting paid more money for that, and so the numbers are skewed. And so even when we hear these numbers for this pandemic that are so high, and they're trying to pin it on our president like he's the uh, Joseph Mengele or something, these numbers are ridiculously uh, skewed and, and manipulated. So we have to endure that. But anyway, these doctors were saying how not to take this vaccine, that it's very, very dangerous. It's untested. It's, um, they did not do the trials uh, that would be necessary. Plus, this is uh, RNA vaccination, which they've never used on people before. First time ever. Um, it says that it, it has nanotechnology in it. You know, so they're, they're injecting us with stuff we don't even know what it is. And so I would highly recommend in this church, if that uh, comes your way, uh, to refuse to take that vaccination. I really believe it's very dangerous. There's many stories already of people taking it and um, passing out or having serious effects. You know, three days of just really, really bad effect from this. Uh, I think Pastor Tyler, you said one in 17 is showing. I mean, that's... I mean, for something that's like a flu, and if you were just to um, keep your immune system up, take the right um, supplements, I think your chances of really being damaged by COVID are so minimal. In fact, this year we have nobody who died from flu. Um, it's all attributed to COVID, you know, so they're just bumping these numbers up, and we all know this has to do with control. And um, some of the things we're going to talk about in the coming weeks it will connect some dots here. We are definitely moving into a period of time that the Bible talks about, and some of this stuff is like, this is, this is unprecedented, it's uncharted territory. Everybody kept saying that word over and over in this year of 2020. This is unprecedented. This is unprecedented, which, which means we've never had to experience something like this before, where the whole world was under uh, control this way, you know, through manipulation, and our, our travel, our, our very um, life's existence was really um, tweaked in this past year, you know, and, and trying to bring us under some control factor. And we know where this is going. If you study the Bible, you know where this is all headed. This is uh, um, New World Order, uh, World Government, Mark of the Beast. It's all headed in that direction. And it's important that we know that beforehand. To be uh, forewarned of those things is to be forearmed so that we know how to deal with it. 
and the word of God has afforded us that opportunity to have vision. You know, if, if there's any vision that we got, it's a long-term vision. And we, you know, the, the gospel message is this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the last part that doesn't get talked about all the time is he's coming back again. Jesus is coming back again. He's going to establish his kingdom in righteousness. And we want to make sure that we are uh, in that kingdom, that we're sanctified, you know, that, that's God's will for us, in, according to uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. It says that God's will for us is for us to be sanctified. That means to be set apart from the things of the world and positioned for His use until His coming. That's what God's will is for each one of us here. Um, so that being said, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this congregation. I thank you for these saints, Lord. Uh, I thank you for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and the glorious future that we have together because of what you did. And we celebrate your incarnation. We celebrate your birth. We celebrate your um, taking on a body of flesh uh, that was prepared for you for suffering and death, that you took the penalty that was due to us so that we could share in your glory for eternity. And, and we're indebted for eternity, but Lord, we know your motivation was love. So we thank you for that. That's why we're here. We acknowledge that. I pray, Lord, that you would breathe um, your Holy Spirit upon this word this morning, that it would transform us, help us, Lord, uh, to navigate these troublous times and to draw closer. You help us, Lord, in, in our weakness. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, you know, the book that I've been really um, reading in, and, and I'm probably going to, if the Lord leads, do some sermons on this First John. I've been really looking at the book of First John. And there's two things that are interesting in that. I mean, I'm not going to get to the uh, one of them this morning, but there's two promises in here. He says that these things we uh, were written that your joy may be full. Who would like to have more joy in their life? You know, I'd like to have more joy. The thing with joy, though, it normally comes, like I said, it's a, it's a dual package. You know, joy comes with trials, but joy trumps trials, you know. And we can have tumultuous circumstances on the outside, but we could have the peace and the joy of the Lord within our hearts. And that's precious. You know, that you can be going through a lot of crazy stuff, but you have that peace and the joy and the fruit of the Spirit within you where you're able to go to sleep at night and, and just say, I'm well with God. God. God is pleased with me because of what Jesus did. My relationship with Him is intact. I'm striving um, to walk closer with Him. So that's one of the promises in the book of First John. We'll get to that scripture today. But the other one was, it's interesting, it says that these things have written that you may know that you have eternal life life. That's a, that's a precious promise. And especially, you know, this year we did several funerals and, um, not everybody has that promise. You know, when you talk to somebody who's maybe a religious person or somebody who's basing their salvation upon good works, you ask them, do you know you're going to go to heaven? And they might say something like, well, I'm not a bad person. And I, and I try to do good things. And that's normally the answer you'll get. You know, and that's really not the assurance that the Bible affords us, that we could know we are partakers of eternal life right now because of what Jesus did, because of his word, the truth of his word, because of the character of Christ and what he said. And he says, if I said it, verily, verily means truly, truly what I'm telling you. I'm not just making this up. This is truth. What I'm telling you that you can have confidence right now. So if the whole world would just explode, we're, we're, yeah, I'm good. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. You know, I noticed that 
You know, you see some people that heard this morning, people, you know, in their car alone with, with a mask on because they're fearing for their lives. Or even this morning, something more ridiculous, people swimming with their mask on. It's like, what? And is it because, you know, we're living in fear of the unknown, but we can have confidence in God that he has us in the palm of his hands and nothing is going to come within that sphere unless he's allowed that to come our way. We even know in the story of Job that there was a conference in heaven with the sons of God that says, if you considered my servant Job, and he says, yeah, just give me Job for a little bit and he'll curse you to your face, God. Just let me, let me have a chance. And we know that turned out that it was for God's glory that that went. And so going back to uh, 1 John, 1 John is right, be right before the book of Revelation. It's uh, three books before Revelation. And uh, I just want to read from that right now, uh, 1 through 4. It says, that which, we, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard and declare to you and also uh, declare to you that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. These things I write to you that your joy may be full. So in the Christmas, you know, the time of Christmas, you know, one of the things that we sing is joy to the world, and you see banners that say joy on it, and it's, it's because God manifested in the flesh. God came as our Savior, our Messiah. He took on a body of flesh, and that's what he's saying right here. It says that this life was manifested, and we have seen it bear witness and declare to you eternal life, which was with the Father, and is manifested to us. So this person who's writing this is John the Apostle. If we know the four Gospels and the purpose of the four Gospels, four different uh, vantage points or four different perspectives on who Jesus Christ was. He's such a powerful, uh, amazing figure that... There was four different manifestations. Even in the heavenly realm, there's a cherubim in heaven, and there's one that has a face of a man, one that has a face of a calf, one that has a face of a lion, and one who has a face of an eagle. And that supposedly represents the four Gospels. The first Gospel presents Christ as a lion, or as the lion of the tribe of Judah in his kingliness, as uh, Matthew presents him. Number two, in the book of Mark, he's presented as a servant, a perfect servant. So he's presented as an ox or a calf, like a perfect servant, perfect sacrifice. The third uh, book in the Bible is Luke. It presents Christ as the perfect man, therefore the, the man's face on, on that creature in heaven. And then the, the fourth is the Apostle John, his representation of Christ, if you've ever read it, it's the most different than the other Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, the three that are kind of same, kind of slightly different perspective. But John's Gospel is totally different, presenting Christ as an eagle, as the Son of God. And so here, he, John, who was intimate with Christ, he was the one um, who his... Uh, brag was, I'm the disciple whom Christ loved. He was the youngest of the disciples, and he was the only one that died a natural death. That he was the only one that wasn't martyred for the faith. And he lived up until about 90 years old. 
uh, church tradition says. He lived 90 years old. Another church tradition said that they tried to kill him because he was preaching the gospel and it wasn't a popular message during the Roman Empire. And they actually put him in boiling oil and he survived. And so they go, well, well we can't kill him that way. We'll, we'll exile him to the Isle of Patmos where he got the revelation of Jesus Christ in his glory. And um, so this is the apostle that is writing this particular um, letter. And he was concerned. And the reason was they were changing the message. And what he's saying here, I was an eyewitness. I actually handled him. I ate with him because the message was being corrupted. It says, you know, it was a Gnostic message, which means that um, there was a message going around that says all flesh is evil. Flesh is evil. Anything in the flesh is evil. And then there's spirit, which is good. And so they said that Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. He was in the spirit. And they said crazy stuff like if you walked on the beach with Jesus, you would leave your footprints on the sand, but there would be no footprints for Jesus because he was a spirit being. He wasn't really manifested in the flesh. And this is what is being addressed here. And there's cults out there. All the cults basically don't know who Jesus Christ is. He's a lesser being. He's a created being. He's the son, uh, um, and he's, he's the brother of Lucifer. He's a created angel. He's this. No, he's God. He was eternal with the Father. He was always with the Father. There's nothing that was created that wasn't created through Jesus Christ. And that's important, and that's what this book is addressing. And it's important because if we don't understand that, we can be opened up to false teachers. And that's what is being addressed here. It says, we have this foundation. We're telling you, this is who he was. This is what he did. Eternal with the Father. Don't get that mixed up. Don't get it twisted. Every cult is, is corrupted somehow in that. You know, even though they come, with you, come to you with nice white shirts on bicycles and they look like real clean-cut people, their doctrine is corrupted. I remember one time I was at Aaron and Charlene's house and I was over there helping them with something and they come up, Pastor Jay, there's, there's some Mormons outside and uh, <laughs> they're hiding in the house. <laughs> and so I go, I'll go talk to them. And so I started talking. And it's, you know, you don't want to be rude, right? You're, you're trying to be friendly to these people, but yet their doctrine is corrupting lives as well as the Jehovah Witnesses. And they're so friendly and they're so nice and they're taking their time on a Saturday to go around and talk to people about Jesus. But in Second John it says that anybody who greets these people, it says, God bless you, brother. They're not brothers and don't God bless them. It says anybody who does that shares in their sins. Don't invite them into your house. That's the word of God. This is, this is John the Apostle because he understood how destructive this doctrine is. I've seen people that were insistent. They said, I said, that is a cult. You shouldn't be involved. Oh, no, but it's my cousin. And they won't give it up. And they go and you just see it's, it, it drags you down. This is important stuff we're talking about here. So this message, that, that this book that I'm going to um, probably preach on in a few, you know, over a series, is talking about things that are important. And especially in this hour, when uh, truth is being compromised. And truth, what is truth? What, how do we address, how do we address life with all these lies out there? Well, one thing that we can do, we can stay in the truth of God's word and this will give us direction right? God's word will give us direction. It'll give us joy. It'll give us peace. It'll give us confidence. We'll know where we're going and we'll know what we're about. And the reason why we listen to these people, this book, and we listen to the detail of what they read, because they were there 
And they saw it firsthand. Uh, John says, I ate with him. I touched him. I handled him. I walked with him. We, we, we hung out together for three years. I know what I'm talking about. The last surviving apostle. So what he has to say is very important. The other person um, is Peter. And I'm going to, you know, this is in the same vein, but the next book over in Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 16 this is what Peter, who was also very close, he was part of the inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John were the inner circle of Christ, the ones that were called in when the person died. It says, everybody out of the room, Peter, James, and John come in here, and they were there to see this person get prayed for and see get resurrected, um, very close to Christ. Um, in First Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he, for he received from God the Father honor and glory in such a voice which came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So this is talking about the eyewitness account that Peter is saying, but even more so, he's saying the prophetic word of this Bible is even stronger than his eyewitness testimony. That he says, until the day star rises in our heart, in the book of Romans, it says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, let us cast off the works of darkness, let us keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Did anybody look at the, conjun the conjunction of planets, that um, Bethlehem star? A lot of us did. You know, even now, I think it's a, there's so many um, celestial events that are taking place right now. You know, you hear all these conjunctions and these lineups, and we went out there and watched it, and I told uh, Gretchen and I were watching that, and I said, I guess back in the day, before they had TV and movies, this would have been an impressive thing. <laughs> you know? I'm just telling you the truth. I'm expecting, she goes, man, I thought it was going to be like a flash and a, and a cross, and the thing was be beaming down into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying no. though I'm, I'm embellishing the word but just you know just bam there it is I thought it was going to be brighter and we're all kind of looking at okay it's kind of cool I guess um, but you know what I'm saying but these things are happening you can't take it from that that thing is, hasn't happened for what was 800 years yeah, and then there was the other one before that, and the other one before that, and all these conjunctions and these lineups and all these things. It says, this will not happen for another 2,000 years. And all that was talked about in the books of Matthew and, and uh, Mark. It talks about this. It'd be signs in the sun and the moon and, you know, in the, uh, the earth, uh, distress of nations with the waves roaring, with hearts failing men for fear of the things that are coming. The prophetic word being confirmed in our... The fact that we're moving towards a time where you won't be able to buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. Right now we have the mask of the beast. You can't go into the store without the mask of the beast. 
Yeah, I'm serious, man. It's irritating to me that they're pushing us and they, they, people who know what they're doing says, this mask does nothing. It probably makes you more sick than anything else. That's people who study this stuff. That's what they're saying. You know, and yet we're, we're compelling us, they're compelling us and moving us like cattle down a chute. They're herding us down this, this narrative. And it's irritating. It really makes me mad because I believe that we're about the truth. And I don't like lie, you know, lies, these lies that people are throwing out there and they're saying it with a straight face like, they, oh yeah, this is really true because I'm a doctor or I'm an authority. Yeah, but it's a lie. A lie is a lie. You know, these doctors I saw this morning, they were just nailing it. It says, this is, this doesn't even, it's not even worthy of the word pandemic because they're boosting these numbers. And this thing is like a, a regular flu. But this is a good excuse to put the people of the world under serious control. And that's what we're seeing. But didn't the Bible talk about a time like that? That's what we're seeing happening right here. The prophetic word being confirmed. Um... You know, we're talking about a time of light and darkness. We're talking about, you know, I was talking to uh, Jeff the other day, and uh, we're seeing the results of this election. And we're seeing this was disgusting what happened here in the face of the whole world, you know, and we're waiting on the process to right itself, if that's possible. We're waiting on something, some equilibrium to come into the system and say, this cannot stand. And we're seeing these things get toppled one by one. The Supreme Court, nope, they don't want to touch it. Oh, there's no fraud here, nothing to see. The prosecutor, nope, nope, don't see anything here. And we're, this is a time of lawlessness. This is a time of darkness that is encroaching in. And we would like to see the truth. And I, I believe that it's not over yet, and I believe that we can pray. I'm not pinning my hopes on President Trump. That's not what I'm saying, but it's irritating to me when this kind of lies and this kind of darkness encroaches on our way of life. I tell you, it will never be the same unless this is rectified. And if it's not rectified, we are on a slippery slope that's going to go real quick, real fast. Do you guys see that? We still have a job to do. We still have to pray. We still have to stand for what is right. We have to be vocal. And Jeff was saying, what do we do? What do we do? It seems like prayer. We've been praying. We've been praying. But what do we do right now? That's a good question. I don't know what to do right now, to be honest with you. I know that they're, they're sending um, on the 6th is the day that the uh, Electoral College is supposed to give their numbers. There was a call that went out to the militias, which are forefathers who made our Constitution, had the foresight to say, if the governor, government ever turns tyrannical, the last resort is for the people to take up arms against this government and says, no, you won't. No, you don't. And there's a move of many, many people that are going to go armed. They're not going over there to start shooting at people, but they're just a presence to say, this is our constitutional right to be here. And it's scaring some people. And is that a good thing? I think it is. I think it is because we look at this world, and it's, it's the devil's world at this point. He's the prince of the power of this air. He's the usurper, and he's taking over. And he'll, you know, one of the people who framed our Constitution says, how much, how much tyranny should we live under? And the, the response was, as much as we, the people, are willing to. And if we lay down and we just say, well, somebody else will do it. Somebody, I don't know what to do right now, to be honest with you. But I know this. 
that if we get into the word of God, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And the thing is, the form of this world is passing away, and I'm not giving up my salvation for a temporal cause. That's not what I'm going to do. My eyes are on the kingdom of God. I know that he's coming back, and I don't want to do anything stupid in this hour, but I also don't want to be a pushover and a laydown under these circumstances. That's the balance right there. How do we navigate this? How do we navigate this properly? To retain our salvation, uphold righteousness, God loves courage. I know that much. It says in the book of Revelation, it says outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the cowards are outside. People were just, oh, I don't know. Never wanted to get involved. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to speak up. Oh, I didn't want to be. He, he doesn't like that. He likes boldness. It says the righteous are as bold as a lion and the wicked flee when none, none pursue. That's what God expects us to be because we are on the side of truth. We're on the side of righteousness and to be a voice. What to do is the question. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Proverbs 6, 23, for the commandment is a light and the law is a light. Is a lamp, I'm sorry. It says, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. So if we lack wisdom or we lack, um, you, you know, we're stumbling around in the darkness, we get to God's word, we get our God's word in our hearts, and it'll illuminate our circumstances. And each one's circumstances is different. It's not a one-size-fits-all. God speaks to us individually, and he calls us to do certain things. We're living in a time where darkness is encroaching, but we need to be the light of the world. Jesus said that that's who he was. I am the light of the world, and if we have Christ in us, we are reflective of that light, and we're to illuminate a dark time. Going on in 1 John uh, chapter, uh, verse 5, it says, uh, ver chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message which we heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So that's one thing. And uh, you know why it's important to come to church? People, you know, people are assailing the church now, and maybe rightly so in some cases. But some people, oh, I have a relationship with God. I don't need to go to church. My church is the beach, or my church is this. And you really, the reality of it is, to come together as believers is important. Because there's something that takes place amongst the koinonia, or the fellowship of the saints, that you can't get on your own. And part of that is... If we're not walking right with God, we might feel a little convicted and we're like, ooh, and we pull back. And then maybe see, people see that and they say, man, what's going on? And talk to you and bring you back into fellowship. Or it might be, I don't want to engage in that because then I'm going to feel guilty. How am I going to go to church? Right? I mean, that, those are the things. That's reality right there. A lot of times when you don't come to church or people don't come to church, probably because they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, and I can't face my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that right? And that's why it's important. Some people say, ah, we don't need church anymore. And maybe some churches, that's the case if there's no conviction of sin. But if there's a message and the word is being preached, there's conviction of sin, and you should sometimes not feel comfortable to be in church. I remember when I first came back to church, brother, I was hiding in the back. And it wasn't even he was preaching anything that was like hitting me. But I was so convicted. But I was still, I felt the love of God, but the conviction of God. 
in the church. I was sweating bullets, man. I, w- I was like, man, don't wear a, a single color shirt because it would be embarrassing, man. I see sweat stains all over this shirt before the service is over. So I'd wear a you know, law shirt or something that, you know, and I'd just be back there crying and sweating because the conviction of the presence of God was there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was talking to Mika about He knows what I'm talking about. You experience that, that, that just that presence of God, the strong presence of the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ that's convicting, but it's cleansing at the same time. That you feel like, wow, that was almost like a roller coaster. It was scary to be in line, but once it was done, I was like, oh, that was good. That was fun. <laughs> That's what God wants for us. He says in his word, he says, and not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And so much more as we see that day approach. I think he knew that there was going to be COVID-19 in the last days. There's a lot of churches probably still haven't opened up yet or even folding right now because, oh, we don't, I don't know, it's kind of scary. We're not responsible, whatever. But the Bible says, don't forsake the gathering to yourselves together and so much more as you see that day approach. This is what this is. This is this is going to get into that that day approach. What that is that day. It says. Um, it says in verse seven. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from sin. If we say that we don't sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You read this word, read the Bible, go to church, hear a message, get into that. You'll be convicted because no, there's none righteous, no, not one, only Christ. And the closer we get to the Lord, the more sensitive we should be to those areas where we say, ah, man, I shouldn't have did that. I shouldn't have said that. Thank you, for Dwayne, for coming up here and doing that. This is evidence right here that he says, when we do that, he is faithful and just to forgive. Dwayne, you are totally absolved. Right. When, you, when you admitted that to God, you, you confessed that before God. You were, you, but you also felt like you offended your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Complete. Totally. Uh, you know, absolved. We, that's the promise that he had. So when we take communion, here is the church. That's why we do it. To examine our hearts before the Lord. Examine our hearts before the brothers and sisters. To take that blood and say, this blood was shed to absolve me of my sins. Lord, this week, you know, I did this, this, and Lord, forgive me for that. And it's clean. You bring it before the Lord. It says, um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You ever see those street, uh, street preachers that go out there and they try to bring the law into the situation, which is the, what the law was made for. It says the law wasn't made for righteous, but was made for sinners and reprobates. It was the law was to put up a wall that says you ain't getting through this. In your own merit. And so they asked him, did you ever sin? Did you ever sin? Well, did you ever say a lie? No, I never lied. <laughs> you just lied right now. You ever stole anything? No, I don't think I ever stole anything. What? Who is this guy? You ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart? No, I never did that. I'm like, wow. You, 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 <laughs> the law is meant to put up a wall to say, well, I guess I'm not as good as I thought I was, man. I'm a lying, adultering, thieving um, reprobate. God, I should be in heaven. 
Really? <laughs> I don't think so. But the good news is, Jesus loves lying, reprobates, sinners who have repented and called upon his name and says, I, I got a problem, Lord. I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness or else I'm not going to make it. It says, I'll never turn away from a humble and contrite heart. That's his program. These, these are the words in this book. It says in the next chapter, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may, you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's like each one of us have a personal lawyer in heaven who's pleading our case. And God the Father is totally righteous, and Jesus is the mediator between God's righteousness and our stumbling efforts at righteousness. But if we're positioned in Christ, we are righteous. But we're still processing our sanctification. We're walking this thing out in the flesh. That's why when Christ came, he says he did this in the flesh. We're experiencing the things that Christ in the flesh. We're, we're fallible. We screw up. But we also know that we have a perfect in the flesh, intercessor for us, who, it says, was tempted in all the ways that we're tempted, yet without sin. And he's, he's, he loves us. And he's our intermediary. Uh, he's our lawyer. He's our advocate before us. And we shouldn't run away from the Lord when we sin. We should run to him and say, man, I need some help right now. You ever seen guys represent a criminal in a, in a court of law? And it's like, brother, that dude's guilty. Well, my client here, he's really a good guy. <laughs> they make a case for it. And Jesus can do that because he paid the price already. It's not, it's not a lie. It's not a sham. It says, I took that penalty. And my client is pleading upon my blood. Therefore, Father, he stands righteous with me. Done, son. Righteous. He's righteous. That's how the thing works. We have to acknowledge it. We, this, we have to acknowledge that. We have an advocate. Verse 2. He himself is our propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but also for the whole world. Who knows what the word propitiation is? I know some of you Bible scholars do. <laughs> but anyway, I'll say it. It's a propitiation is uh, it's like the mercy seat. It's like where the high priest used to go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the day of atonement and take the blood of the bull and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and it says the lord god would say okay that sin is covered it's covered for the year not totally forgiven but it's just covered propitiated it's been made right it's like there was a separation because of our sins but because of this blood this temporary program of the old testament the propitiation was made now we're right as a nation you're right as a people again we have right standing with god but when jesus came in he made propitiation for us and not only us but for the whole world he sprinkled his blood on that altar and he says it's done if anybody who has faith in what i did has right standing with god the father that's what this word means propitiation right there Now, verse 3, now this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You know, it was said this morning that there is nothing that we need to do. It isn't like, well, I'm working my way to heaven. I'm building a stairway to heaven. I said that prayer and then I'm on my way by my works. That's really not true. That's not the program of, of, of salvation by grace. Salvation by grace is this. I could never do this. 
I could never be righteous enough to attain to eternal life with Christ. But Jesus said, he died, he confers his righteousness upon me. I stand right now as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a son of God right now. But I want to manifest that sonship more and more and more. Help me, Lord, not to be weak in the flesh. Help me to put off this, this, this sin that so easily besets me. Help me, Lord, to do those things that are pleasing with you. Because if I do these things that I draw closer to you, I have greater revelation of who you are. And I want to please you. I want to prove my love to you. That's what this is about right now. It says, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I would think that that's the evidence of a true conversion. Of a person that when he does sin, it bothers him. It's like, ah, I let the Lord down. I don't like this position. These faithful and just. To take our sin, we go to him. Lord, I, I, I screwed up with this. Please forgive me. You're forgiven, and we move on. Then we have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with the brethren. Amen? But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. If we see evidence of this, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. If these things are emanating from us, we know we're attached to the vine because this is the sap of the Holy Spirit, and it's emanating from us. Some people need a little fertilizer. Some people need some pruning, myself included. And there's more growth takes place, more a growth spurt on this. And, oh, yeah, you're, you're improving on this. But it's a natural thing that happens from within. It comes out. Amen? John, I would say his... His moniker would be, would be the apostle of love. He's constantly trying to affirm that. He's constantly telling everybody. I heard a story, it's church history, that when John was old and infirmed, they would carry him around. And I'm sure everybody wanted to see apostle John. Man, this guy walked with Jesus. And they said they would bring him by and his thing was love one another. That was his thing, love one another. That was his, his moniker. He would constantly be affirming that message. Verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning, the old commandment in the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That's powerful right there. I, I just got a revelation. That there's a lot of times we don't know. What do we do? What do we do? But it says here that if we stay in this, uh, uh, this abiding presence of the love of God and the love of the brethren, that the darkness is lifted and we can see what to do. We can see what direction to go. That if we're in this position, we have hate in our heart. That's why this political stuff is dangerous. You know? We, we see, but it says the brethren especially. Not everybody is the brethren. Our fellow Christians are the brethren. You know, I was discussing that at our, our prayer time. I said, you remember that, that um, question, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and says, what, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? 
well, do this, you know, this, this, and this. Well, all those things I've done for my youth. He says, well, you one more thing you lack. Go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you'll have money brags that don't grow old. And he walked away. He was kind of sorrowful. I, I, no, I think I'm getting stories mixed up. That wasn't the one. <laughs> no, the other one was that, uh, oh, Lord, help me here. Want, no, there was a lawyer, and he questioned Jesus, and, and oh, it was a, oh, sorry, scrap that story, this is the next one. It was the, the Samaritan, the, the person who was walking down to Jerusalem, and thieves hit this guy, and beat him up, and he's all bleeding on the side of the road. It says, the Pharisee comes walking like, oh, I don't want to get involved with that, and he goes on the other side of the road and, and digs out. Then a lawyer passes by, same thing, and then the Samaritan comes by. And he sees the guy there, and he says, he, he goes to him, he wraps up his wounds with, with olive oil or oil and, and wine, and he takes him to an inn, and he gives this to the inn, and he says, I'm going to be back in a few days, and, and here's the money for his, his uh, lodging, and if there's any other, that, any other thing that is needed, I'll take care of it when I come back. And Jesus asks the guy, who was his neighbor? I suppose it was the Samaritan, as much as we hate those people. It was the Samaritan, the one who took he went out of his way to help that person. You know, that's heavy, man. That's really heavy. We can have, we love those that look like us and act like us and do the things like us. But what if somebody is outside of that realm? Ooh, just get them over there on the side. Help us, Lord. But that's perfection in the eyes of the Lord to do something like that. But the thing is, he said, who is the, 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 the person asking the question says, who is my neighbor wanting to justify himself? And Jesus threw it into the stratosphere at that point. There's a difference between our neighbor and a difference between a brother. A brother is somebody who is in Christ. Same mother, same lineage, same family. We are family in Christ. And so we're, we're at a different standard with one another. But neighbors also, because they could also become brothers, are examples that we lay for them. Amen? But he who hates his brother, verse 11, is in darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You can see that as this world turns towards hate, towards murder, towards lawlessness, it says in the last days that the love of many, because of lawlessness, the love of many would grow cold. I see that tugging at my heart as I watch the news, as I watch YouTube clips of craziness going on. Oh man, I'll beat that guy down if he did that. You know, and you're just thinking these thoughts and you're, it's a temptation to veer over there instead of, Lord, help them. Help them to know you. Am I the only one here? Is it kind of, amen? I mean, that's what, we, that's what we need to be aiming for. Lord, I don't have that within myself, but you said that you've given me this. Help me, through your grace, to manifest that sort of love, that, that sort of concern, because people are on their way to hell right now. By and large, the world is on its way to hell right now. We pray for a great revival. I heard a prophetic word this morning where the guy was saying hopeful words, and I hope it's true what he's saying. You know, you're saying this thing, this all what we're seeing, it's going to switch. And a blessing is going to come upon the church, upon God's people. And there's going to be an outpouring of his spirit. And I, I want to believe that. I want to hold to that, that that's going to take place. Because I believe God is merciful. And before he allows full-blown judgment to come upon this earth, I believe he wants a harvest of souls. And we need to be positioned to be those people right now. 
So this book is important. There's, there's key information in this book. If we don't want to be in darkness, we don't want to be, we, 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 we want to know what to do right now. We want to know who to be right now. We want to know what not to do right now. And, and what is our position right now? And this book, man, this is, this is like his swan song. This is, I got one last chance to, to um, confirm my knowledge upon the church. And so on your own time, study this book. There's a lot in here. You know, it says these things, like I said, these things I've written to you that your joy would be full. Number two, these things I've written that you may know that you have eternal life. We can have confidence. The whole world can collapse and you say, I got eternal life. I'm good, man. If I go from here, I'm with the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right? That's what this book will give us. We'll look into this more as we go on. Thank you, Lord. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We have to get his instruction. We have to walk in fellowship with Christ, but equally important to walk in fellowship with one another. That's what God is looking for. That's how we stay in the right place. Let's pray.